The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome one, welcome all. It is Monday Football Monday here on the SB Nation NFL show. The Super Wild Card Weekend is behind us. The divisional round is in front of us. We are here to get you through it all. Everything that happened throughout the six games that we saw in the first weekend of this season's playoff action. I'm Archie Ochoa. He's Pete Sweeney. He's Michael Kist. And boys, the playoffs not only are here, but now we have a full, big, bigger than ever first bite than we've ever had. How are you feeling, Michael Kist? I'm feeling great. And look, I could honestly spend 60 minutes just breaking down the MVP performance by Mitch Trubisky mm. on Nickelodeon, <laughs> bringing in a whole new generation to understand what subpar quarterback play means and rewarding it. Uh, so that, that's where I'm at. I had tremendous fun this weekend taking in all this football. We are going to get to uh, the MVP performance. We're also going to hear from Jake Locke of Baltimore Beatdown about the Baltimore Ravens that got a nice win. But but Pete, you're, uh, you're dub FT. You know, what happened there? Yeah, you know what? Uh, as I've said throughout the season, the WFT goes as Alex Smith goes. Smith benched for the game and you saw what happened. The Bucks move on. This was literally the biggest wildcard weekend we ever had. And I realized this on Sunday night. We got six games throughout the entire weekend. There are six games between now and the Super Bowl. And that sounds Mm. like so far away uh, when really it's just two days away if you're the NFL in 2021. Uh, We're going to go in our own preferred order. I know there's a chronological one that we can do, but we want to mix it up. We want to be a little bit different. We're not not mainstream like the oddcast. We uh, (laughs) we march to the beat of our own drum, so to speak. And we are going to start with the coward that is Mike Tomlin, the Cleveland. Cleveland Browns boys got their first playoff win since 1994. Kiss mentioned Tamagotchis last week. We all had one at that time. 48-37, to the final score. The Cleveland Browns dropped 28 on the Steelers in the first quarter, the most points that any NFL team has ever scored in the opening quarter of a singular playoff game. Michael Kissed. The Browns did the damn thing. How do you lose when your quarterback has the yeet of the week? I mean, oh, it, wow. it's, oh! it's a darn <laughs> dropping it early. It's a darn shame. There was there was a laser guided missile from Big Ben to Chase Claypool in the fourth quarter. Might have been Big Ben's best throw of the year, touchdown or not. But I'll tell you how they lost. It was cowardice, along with like you said, the Browns putting up twenty eight first quarter points. 
Let's let's talk about how Mike Tomlin angered the football gods, though. You are down 28 to nothing. The Steelers punt on the Cleveland Browns 38-yard line. It was only mm. fourth and nine. They got a net 28 yards out of it. There was the you know the uh, surrender index that they have that shows how cowardly a punt is. That was a uh, I believe 98 percentile of all punts since 2009 in terms of the surrender index. That is an abysmal decision. And then even worse than that, I think down 35-23, fourth and one on their own 46 at the top of the fourth quarter. They've got to make up a two score deficit. They don't go for it. They take a delay of game and they punt. Do they not understand how much time is left in the game? You don't have a lot of possessions left in this thing. I mean, that it's it's wild to me. Tomlin is a go by your gut type of coach. That's why you see such a, a weird disparity between being aggressive with the two point conversions and then being so cowardly with the punts. I mean, they they got to get somebody in there to help him guide him with those decisions because he's so anti analytics and I, and it's just it's the polar opposite of what you need to be. You don't need the analytics boogeyman taking over your entire decision-making process, but at least have access to the information so that you can make an informed decision, even if you still go with your gut. By the way, RJ, I'm sorry, I gotta I gotta dig you right up top too and bring the Cowboys into this, but Cleveland Browns interim play caller, Alex Van Pelt, did a masterful job. And there's a fascinating story with that because Van Pelt was with the Packers when Mike McCarthy was there, and despite developing a reportedly good relationship with Aaron Rodgers, the Packers let his contract expire because McCarthy felt threatened by Van Pelt. One man's <laughs> treasure is another man's scapegoat, as they say. Go Brownies, finally getting the monkey off their back. That is ironic, considering that Mike McCarthy did interview for the Cleveland Browns job that went to Kevin Stefanski that Van Pelt served as the head of throughout their first playoff win. Um, I wrote about the second punt you mentioned, Kiss, for SBNation.com, if anybody wants to go check that out. That in the 92nd percentile of the surrender index. Um, just very hard to fathom. Pete, we've talked all season long about the elites in the AFC, obviously led by your Kansas City Chiefs, and um, the Chiefs have a, you know, bury them you know, mentality. That's, that's who the chiefs are, except for, you know, I guess really all this season. Uh, but I mean, you get my point though. Like when they want to bury someone, they do. We never see cowardice right. from the chiefs or, or from other teams in that sense. This was really hard to fathom. And it's, it's amazing that it's kind of taken away from, from what the Browns did. But I hate to say that the Steelers lost this game more than the Browns won it, but this this was really, really, really questionable for Mike Tomlin. In covering Andy Reid, we've seen how he's grown over the years where he has, I think, looked into analytics. And for example, he defers when he wins a coin toss. 53% of the time, you win the game. So he changed that over the years. Back in the days of Philly, I mean, he would always take the ball first because that's just what you did. Right. And he's gotten way more aggressive on fourth down, fourth and short. He realizes he has Patrick Mahomes, so on and so forth. And they have a book. And it seems like Doug Peterson has the most aggressive book in, in the NFL. But Andy Reid will take Fearless. will take some shots there. And he does use his, his gut. I want to bring up Juju Smith-Schuster in this game. Oh. Because the Steelers, they began their season. 11 and 0. And I think even when they were undefeated, everyone was like, how is this team undefeated? And then it seemed like Smith Schuster started dancing on logos and decided that this was the thing he was going to, to start doing. And then the Steelers started losing games. Then ahead of this game, even after the Steelers were able to win their division, 
He says the Browns are the Browns. He's happy that they're playing the Browns, so on and so forth. And Mike Tomlin will go on and say, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter if he's dancing on logos. You're not getting motivation from that. The first thing Baker Mayfield said after this game is the Browns is the Browns coming off the field. Of course, it's motivating for the other team. Uh, Smith Schuster is due to become an unrestricted free agent. I think this is a situation where the Steelers and that Tomlin approach just say goodbye to Smith Schuster. And I think Smith Schuster might be thinking twice. He did have a great game yardage wise, but you could just tell that there was a motivation from the second that this game began. Not that there wouldn't have been anyway, but there was just a little bit more juice. And you see the Browns go up 28 nothing. I thought that this was impressive because they were up 28 nothing, but it was still so early. And this is Mm -hmm. Big Ben, and it's a playoff game. And the Steelers, I think, position themselves to maybe get back into it. They eventually cut this game to 12 points. It was 35 to 23. And you know what the Browns did? They shut the door and said, no, we actually belong here. And sort of validated that, I think, jump out to that 28-point lead. And when you lose the turnover battle 5-0, to including what started the game with that ball over Roethlisberger's head for the touchdown. It was just the the Steelers could not get out of the quicksand and kudos to the Browns for finishing the job because it's not a given, even though they were up 28, nothing that that was definitely going to happen. I think Nick Chubb, a lot of people believe he's the most talented running back in the NFL at the moment and kind of validated that idea uh, throughout this game. The Browns did have a questionable performance in the second half, had back-to-back three and outs that kind of fed the life within the Steelers. I, I hate to, to for all of us to be this does feel a little good off my lawn, but the juju stuff is a big deal. I normally don't subscribe to that generally, but you look at the loss the Steelers had to the Cincinnati Bengals on Monday Night Football when Von Bell just blasted him, and it, it feels like everybody has been so anxious to get their gotcha moment on Juju Smith-Schuster, and again, whether you think whether it offends you personally is whatever, but there is no question, Pete, that this has become a distraction for the Steelers, and they will serve as a flagrant example, I think, for any team, because it kind of does happen every year that gets to 10-0, 11-0. There will be this, we don't want to see anybody acting like Juju Smith-Schuster last year. We don't want to see anybody tweeting like Chase Claypool did, losing, never heard of her, because the Pittsburgh Steelers went 1-5 in their final six games, and they completely blew their chance at maybe winning a Super Bowl in what might be Ben Roethlisberger's last season. Kiss, do you think he's done? We saw, oh, by the way, SportsCenter, get out of here with this patronizing tweet with Ben Roethlisberger. He left it all on. The dude threw four interceptions. He threw it right to Taki Taki there at the end. I mean, that was the best laser he threw all day, Kiss. But yeah, is, was this Ben Roethlisberger's last NFL game? I, I believe it is, and it should be. I mean, you look at the, the cap hit next year, and obviously they can restructure everything. But I mean, the, the guy can't move. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty obvious how limited this guy is. And it was crazy that they got through 11 games before defenses really adjusted and started taking away all the quick game stuff. But once they did, that offense didn't look like it. He's, he's putting the power of 10,000 suns into every single throw that's more than 10 yards down the field. They have to blow it up. And I mean, they have a good transition out to kind of retool this thing, right? Because you know, Chase Claypool replaces Juju Smith-Schuster. Alex Highsmith replaces Bud Dupree. Uh, Doxson replaces Feeler. So, you know, Sun replaces Hate. They they have answers uh, that that easily transition into new answers for them. The question is the quarterback position. If it's Ben again, 
They're going to miss another window. The Cleveland Browns will visit the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday afternoon this week in the divisional round of the playoffs. Obviously, Pete Sweeney and his staff will keep you updated on everything you need to know about that game over at arrowheadpride.com. Boys, I think it's kind of interesting, poetic, maybe cosmically aligned. Kiss, you think this was Ben Roethlisberger's last game of his career? It might have been Philip Rivers' last game of his NFL career. They both obviously part of that famed 2004 draft class. Three, arguably, I don't think it's arguably, the best three quarterbacks from the 2018 draft class all got their first playoff wins this week in the wild card round. Baker Mayfield, obviously, we're uh, going to get to uh, you know what Lamar Jackson did in a little bit with our friend from Baltimore beatdown. But Josh Allen beat down the Indianapolis Colts. Pete Swe- uh, the Indianapolis Colts, Pete Sweeney, you have been doubting the Bills, <laughs> and they went and shut you up. Well, I don't know if they did. I don't know if they did. I I think Josh Allen did a really nice job in this game, but these Bills were built not only to win against the Colts, it was a definite, absolute certainty. The Buffalo Bills on their road to Kansas City for the AFC title game. And guess what? Phillip Rivers had the ball in his hands with a chance to win this football game and had his kicker not missed a 33-yarder earlier in the game. He could have got him into field goal range and won the football game. So it wasn't a dominant Bills performance. And the Indianapolis Colts did a really nice job, I think, stopping the run. The Bills not being able to run the football and win, that is over. That period of the postseason for them is now over because they're facing a Baltimore Ravens team who can run the football, can win the game, and they're facing a quarterback that's going to beat them if they can't run uh, the ball. The Moss and Singletary combined for just 42 Uh, yards on 10 carries and had it not been for Allen and his play who knows how this game goes we just talked about Big Ben and whether or not he's done I'm not sure about Big Ben but I think it's an absolute certainty that Philip Rivers has to walk away I know that after the game Frank Reich said he wanted Rivers back but this to me was Rivers final game I think he ends up coaching high school football as he wanted to in South Alabama next year and and it's and it's tough because you would have liked to have seen I think Rivers in his career get through and he just was never able to get a team to what they consider the promised land and I think you know I every every time I I'm always feel like I'm bringing up the Chiefs but I think the Chiefs in the way the AFC has played out are fortunate that the Bills or Ravens are going to knock one or the other off because had the Browns not won it would have been Ravens and then Bills if if the Chiefs could beat the Ravens and now I don't know who comes out of Buffalo next week Kissed, I want to get your opinion on something we have talked already about, Mike Tomlin's cowardice. I believe I saw you tweet about this, so I'm not totally certain. Forgive me. My Twitter timeline can be uh, a clogged place. I believe that Frank Reich acted in the polar opposite direction of Mike Tomlin and Mike Vrabel, for that matter, throughout wildcard weekend. At the end of the first half, Frank Reich, on fourth and goal, chose to go for it instead of kicking a field goal. The Colts would go on to miss the 33-yarder from Specs, as Pete mentioned. But um, this was one of those that, that kind of spun Twitter out of control and, and birthed a lot of takes. Um, it, again, it was fourth and goal from the Buffalo four-yard line. At the time, the Colts were down 10-7. to The Buffalo Bills take over with a minute and 46 left march down the field um, and go up excuse me the Colts had the lead at the time 10 to 7 and, and the Colts take a lead into halftime your thoughts on that because I really like this move from Frank Reich I know it didn't work out in the sense that they lost but but what do you think uh, people always uh, cite the analytics boogeyman when it doesn't work out right but they're pretty quiet when it does work out they got what they wanted they got a guy open in the back of the end zone right the execution was just what a half an inch, maybe a full inch away from from coming off for a touchdown. It's early in the game. I'm not worried about what exactly the score is. I'm worried about chasing points. I want to go right. get points. 
period. I want to put points on the board as many as I can. I have no issue with this whatsoever. And anybody trying to draw an equivalency, be like, oh, you know, they they could have three points there, and that would have been the difference. They they lost by three. Yeah. it was it was in the first half. Yeah, Pittman doesn't drop it in the back at the end zone. Right. I mean, you're looking at a completely different game. That ball was in his hands. You know, we we saw yep. it in the NFC uh, wild card later on, and I'm sure we'll get to that. But changes the game when you have a ball that's in your yep. hand. I, these are this is the playoffs. You got to score every possible touchdown that you can. And I thought it was an off day for the Bills. The, the Colts had an opportunity, and I don't want to say that the Bills like I, that the Colts lost it more than the Bills won because I don't think that that's true either with the Allen performance. But there was certainly a little bit of that. I thought Frank Reich, though, at the end of the game, you know, I'll, I'll defend him for that fourth down decision, wasting a whole minute spending two timeouts to get seven yards when it Agreed. looks like you're playing for a field goal was absolute insanity. I don't know what was going through his mind at the moment, but it wasn't the right thing. It looks like he folded. I think the end of the game highlights I don't think the Colts are a broken team by any means, and it will certainly be more difficult to come back next season without a quarterback or, or with a different quarterback and without Matt Eberflus if he does get a head coaching gig. But but that last sequence does kind of highlight what's wrong with them um, in that, like, okay, is, is Philip Rivers going to throw this Hail Mary? You know, do we have to bring Jacoby Brissett in? It, you know, like, it that that doesn't work. I mean, if and that's the thing. Like, I don't want to smite Philip Rivers' Hall of Fame candidacy, but you can't tell me you're a Hall of Fame quarterback if you can't reach the end zone on that play. I mean, it's it's it just doesn't compute in my brain. I agree, Pete, that this this was an off day for the Bills as far as what we've seen from them, certainly what we saw in Week 17. But um, to get football cliché, I mean, the mark of great teams is that they find ways to win those games. I mean, I think that that's evidenced by this season's Chiefs in a lot of senses. Kiss, do you think that that this is concerning from the Bills' perspective as they do get ready to host the Baltimore Ravens? I think the Colts should have won this game. I, I, I really, really do. And I think uh, Reich also made a mistake sticking with the run too much early in the game. I mean, they had a 14-play drive that had zero points. You cannot. You cannot do that. The Bills were mm-hmm. certainly beatable. It was an off day for them. They got lucky. That's totally fine. They might not have another off day, so they escape pretty clean from this thing. I'm not really concerned about it. I, th- I thought this would be a, a tight game, uh, and the Bills were able to get a, a playoff W and kind of get that monkey off their back, too, because it's been a while for them as well. And now they got a little more playoff experience. They understand what it's like. I- I'm not concerned at all that this was tight, and uh, I-, I think we see more of the Bills that we're used to moving forward as the slate gets tougher. The Bills will finally get to play a playoff game in primetime as they will host the Baltimore Ravens in the divisional round, a nighttime playoff game in Orchard Park on Saturday night. It is going to be electric. Let's talk about those Baltimore Ravens. Pete, we're going to hear from Michael Kist and our guest Jake Locke from Baltimore Beatdown in just a second, but I do want your thoughts very quickly since Kist is Team Titans. Uh, is Team is, is Teen Titans a Nickelodeon show? Because I guess that, that that takes us full circle. Starring, here, but, music, starring uh, music City Mike, yeah. Uh, I digress. Um, Pete, quickly, your thoughts on, I mentioned, again, the 2018 quarterbacks all got their first playoff wins. Again, the notable ones. I yeah. guess Josh Rosen technically gets a piece of the Bucks win. Uh, but So Sam Darnold, the one left out in the cold. Uh, Lamar Jackson now is the second quarterback in NFL history with multiple 100-yard rushing performances in the playoffs. Colin Kaepernick. Nick the other once again shout out to Mike McCarthy who's Green Bay Packers got eviscerated by him way back in the day uh but Pete your thoughts on uh the reigning MVP this was a game in my opinion of two things and that was a Lamar Jackson takeover and stopping Derrick Henry 2.2 yards a clip there were three moments for Lamar Jackson that I specifically had highlighted a 10-3 the 48 yard touchdown run 
at 10-10, it was third and two, and he had a 23-yard run. And then at 20-13, Jackson having the presence of mind, this was the moment that was big for me in saying, you know, I've been here before where maybe I had a mental lapse and whatnot, but staying inbounds on the 33-yard run just took all of the life out of the Tennessee Titans. And Baltimore is a team, and again, cover the Chiefs. I don't necessarily want to see Baltimore, if I'm anybody in the AFC, including the Chiefs. I was six for six in the wild card round, and I think Baltimore goes into Buffalo and wins next week. The Lamar Jackson touchdown that had Twitter buzzing, the hot phrase was, Lamar is just different. And you know who else is different, Pete? Michael Kist. Let's hear from Michael (laughs) Kist and Jake Locke from Baltimore Beatdown to talk more about the Baltimore Ravens defeating the Tennessee Titans. Jake, welcome into the SB Nation NFL show. How you doing, brother? Doing good, Michael. Glad to be on. Absolutely, man. So the Ravens, let's go. They win 20-13 to over the Titans to advance to the divisional round where they will play the Buffalo Bills. Before we look ahead, uh, Jake, there is a uh, sigh of relief around the uh, narrative surrounding Lamar Jackson this morning because he and his Ravens, of course, it's a team game, have now won a playoff game, uh, how how relieved are you that that narrative is now dead? You know, it's funny how sports works like that, isn't it? Where sometimes like a win like that, it should just be pure jubilation and joy. And we certainly were feeling that. But I think on our show last night, which you can find at Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, if you want to uh, give that a listen, we were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, obviously it is jubilation. It is joy. First playoff win for this franchise in six years, a franchise that is not used to going that long without one. But when the narrative, you know, which is everyone's favorite word right now in the discourse, whatever you want to call it, got so toxic so quickly surrounding this young guy, Lamar Jackson, who is so likable in so many ways to a lot of people. But uh, for a lot of other people, they just want to root against them for whatever reason they you know, have in the back of their head. They push this whole narrative. There I go again about him not being able to win in the playoffs, which I think was pretty asinine to begin with and uh, I thought it was only a matter of time before he proved them wrong but uh, you're certainly right in the fact that it wouldn't have been fun waiting another 365 plus days for that to happen so it's very much a relief here on this fine Monday morning yeah and I think that the big story here because remember it it is a a team game things looked kind of bleak early on for the Ravens with the Titans scoring on two of their first three drives jumping out to a 10-0 lead Arthur Smith the offensive coordinator for the Titans looked like he was in his bag and dialing some things up but the Ravens defense would stiffen up only allow three points over the next three quarters. What happened on the defensive side of the ball for the Ravens that led to that dominance over what's been a pretty doggone good offense this year? I don't know if they were doing anything specifically or if the Titans just stopped going to A.J. Brown. Um, <laughs> I know Brown had a couple drops, I think, a couple collisions with Marlon Humphrey, who he was getting the better of early on, but then they kind of settled into their rhythm. And thankfully, they didn't, you know, Wink Martindale, their defensive coordinator, didn't make any changes on that front, which I think I and a couple other people were maybe hoping for because uh, A.J. was definitely getting the better of him in that matchup starting with that touchdown for the Titans to go up early on them. But I don't know, man. It just seems like they came into the game with the mindset. And a lot of people, I think, in the uh, analytics side of the community would say, like, well, it it doesn't matter. You don't have to worry about stopping Derrick Henry. you got to worry about stopping this passing game. And I think, uh, you know, I kind of come down a little bit more in the middle between that whole meta argument between analytics and whatever else. But, you know, I probably would have sided with you have to stop this passing game because that's what's kind of getting the better of you here early on. But they stuck to the plan of... uh, getting Derek Wolf and Kalias Campbell, Brandon Williams, a lot of these guys they didn't have in that first matchup and just saying stop number 22 and just Ooh. kind of let the chips fall where they may. They did that. 
they held Henry to maybe his worst game in a couple of years and uh, they won because of it, I think. Let's let's flip sides back to the offense, because I had had a big discussion with Mike Renner of PFF when he put out his piece saying, you know, have defenses figured out Lamar Jackson? And of course, the the answer is always more nuanced than uh, than you would think there. Obviously, the Ravens did have a bit of a slump, but it seems like things have changed a bit for them. What's your confidence level on this offense uh, entering the rest of the playoffs here? I think it's pretty good because they found a formula that I think works for who they are. I think there was some uh, maybe a little bit of angst early in the season and through the middle of the season about what is this offense? What are they trying to do? They, they're they not built to be this high flying passing offense that they tried to be. And frankly, they did look like early on in the season. You know, they dismantled the Browns with Lamar just going 22 for 25 in that first week of the season, looking really good as a pocket passer. And then uh, it started to look a little shaky and then it kind of fully fell apart. Uh, as did their, you know, it kind of coinciding with them um, having half their building get COVID. So, you know, kind sure. of a, a weird season in that respect. But they basically emerged from that offensive funk and that COVID funk, whatever you want to call it, uh, with the mindset that we're just going to do what works best for this team. And I think there's part of that whole narrative thing is that you can't win in the playoffs with this rushing attack and this running quarterback well. You know, when the passing game isn't working and he throws up this stupid, awful interception to Malcolm Butler, it's like, yeah, well, you know, like you can push back against that all you want. But right now you're looking down the barrel of, like I said, another year of having to argue against that. But then he breaks it wide open with a long touchdown run, flips the field and uh, gets them right back into the game. So I think uh, it kind of has proven itself to be a, a good formula, at least so far. We'll see how it works against Buffalo here. Yeah, as soon as Lamar decided I'm going to take it over with my legs and he had that big run, which was spectacular, you kind of felt a lot differently about how things were going to go in that game. And look, there is never much time to uh, bask in the glory of victory during the playoffs. The Ravens go up against the red-hot Buffalo Bills next. Uh, The Ravens have won their last two meetings against Josh Allen, but have yet to play the new and improved Josh Allen. What's your uh, confidence level on Monday morning here? Um... You know, I think they could hang with them. If the Colts were able to do it, the Ravens proved themselves to be a good matchup for the Colts. I think if not for a couple of stupid decisions by the Colts coaching staff, and I, I don't want to get on the Bills too hard here, but the, I think they did get a little lucky with some of those uh, inbound catch calls. I think it, it can be a close game, and then at that point, it's just kind of up to whichever team is able to execute down the stretch in the clutch situations, which the Ravens have been basically in the playoffs for the past six months or six weeks here. So I think just kind of having that mindset and that's another sort of storyline uh, at least locally was they didn't face enough adversity in 2019 and you know they faced plenty of it this year and I think it uh, it certainly did psychologically help them a little bit yesterday so maybe it'll prove to be a little bit of a difference this weekend we'll certainly see I know a lot of people here at Baltimore Beatdown have been circling the Bills as a matchup that they actually kind of like because the Ravens have uh, a good cornerback group that can stick with some of these wide receivers Stefan Diggs has proved to be huge obviously but if you stick him with Marlon Humphrey and that proves to go in the Ravens' favor, I guess it's anyone's game. Yeah, I hear you. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in the Bills. And it, they certainly looked beatable. It looked like a game that the Colts should have won, if not for some weird decisions and bounces of the ball. So, I mean, any given Sunday here in the playoffs. And Jake, thank you for joining us here on the SB Nation NFL Show. Let the gentle listeners know where they can find you, your work, your social media, your podcast, all that stuff, man. Plug away. Yeah, podcast is Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. So if you're a Ravens fan or somebody that just wants to listen to our recaps after these playoff games, you can find that wherever you get your pods. And we stream live to YouTube as well. You can find the show's Twitter account at Podcast Beatdown. We shoot out uh, uh, kind of just show-related stuff, questions, all that. You can find me at Jake Luke. That is L-O-U-Q-U-E. And uh, have a great week, everyone. We'll be back after a quick break from our word from our sponsors, and then we're heading down to the bayou. 
Welcome back, boys. Appreciate Jake Locke from Baltimore Beatdown taking the time to join us. Michael Kist, you are fantastic as always. Sometimes, I never told you this, I just put on your interviews with people while I take a nap. It's oddly soothing, <laughs> and so I appreciate you Does that for, mean he's uh, for good? helping. That's a, that's a yeah. question, you know? Well, it's I mean, it's entertaining. It's, it has to be the second listen, because the first listen, I'm sure. you know, glued on the edge of my seat. Exactly. But the second, you know, he rocks me to sleep. Right. Um, so, um, <laughs> guys, if you did not know the New Orleans Saints-Chicago Bears game, was on Nickelodeon. What? There was slime. There was fun. Actually, look, th- I mean, I want to talk about the game, but we do need to address this. Kissed, you are a father. Um, your thoughts on this broadcast and how really entertaining it was for children. And in an educational sense, Nate Burleson, Noah Eagle, Gabby, they deserve all the credit in the world for making it really fun and really entertaining. Yeah, so I, I have three boys and, and one of them is three years old. And I know in a couple of years – when there's a football game on Nickelodeon, he's going to be much more apt to watch that game than he would the regular broadcast. Like, he doesn't know who Tony Romo is. He doesn't care. We care. He won't. But this, this to me, was just brilliant. Somebody in 30 years is going to write the think piece, how Nickelodeon saved football. And it's and they're going to be right. Like, this is, this is like indoctrinating a whole new generation of fan. And it's a great thing for me. It's a great thing for Pete. It's a great thing for RJ. It's a great thing for everybody in football and football media because the larger <laughs> your audience can get, the better. I thought they – and look, I, I tuned in to try to like make fun of it at first. It was – like there were a couple of cringy things, but it was actually pretty good. Like I enjoyed it and the and the graphic with SpongeBob in between the field goal posts. Like that was oh, fun. So good. So – I, I, I think they did. I think it's an amazing idea. I think the execution was awesome. I love that Mitch Trubisky won MVP. I mean, that just put it over the top for me uh, with the campaign, I think, from from the PMT crew. But yeah, I, I thought it was a genius idea. It's going to be good for, for business in the long term. Pete, you set this up on the SB Nation Instagram story last week uh, yeah. with an ode to Blues Clues. Uh, did this tug at any nostalgic heartstrings for you? I think it was a fun showing. And designed for kids in a sport where i mean when i was younger to get into football i think you had to be like seven or eight years old and i think you're finding a way to reach as kiss was saying a little bit of a younger crowd and for sure i think creating football fans could be an issue in what would be considered the next generation because of esports and because of fantasy football and so on where there just isn't as much of of that team-centric push and I think that this could actually help. I was a little like, you know, suspect of it, like we all were going in, but it was interesting. I would like to see more broadcasts, not every week necessarily, but for the bigger games on, on Nickelodeon, where you have young Sheldon explaining what a defensive pass interference. Sometimes right. young Sheldon, I don't know what a defensive pass interference is. So thank you for helping <laughs> me out. And I, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. I, I do think the the most incredible example, getting serious here, uh, was after the scuffle that, of course, involved, you know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I thought Nate Burleson explained that really well, talking about, you know, they did such a great job. He said, you know, when you're at recess and your friend gets too close to you. and th- I mean, it was really humanizing and, and really uh, impressive in that sense. And I think that getting to the football of it all, Kiss, that kind of describes this game. The Bears are just a bunch of posers, dude. I mean, like, th- again... And I don't want to get too far on this soapbox, and I realize that the Indianapolis Colts uh, are diametrically opposite from the point that I'm about to make, but I don't need to see this seventh seed. I, I would I think it is an NFL fan, I would rather the New Orleans Saints have gotten a bye than 
this Chicago Bears team been offered the chance to play in the playoffs? Because again, Matt Nagy, BU, whatever. I mean, get out of here. This team sucks, and I'm tired of having to watch them. Yeah, well, the NFL is here to uh, make money, so that's what they're going to do with the with the seventh seed. <laughs> so I get it. And look, you, you know me. I'm I'm not going to pound the table for the Bears to be in the playoffs. I thought they were the biggest paper tiger that ever paper tigered when they were five and one. Uh, didn't make any sense to me then. Doesn't make any sense to me now. Still, honestly. And look, the Saints. I thought for the first half really played one of their worst games this season, and the Bears were just so uh, inept that they couldn't capitalize. And I think this does a favor to Bears fans because I think you see. Trubisky is not the answer. You have to no move way. on from him, and he's he's handcuffing this offense, Pete. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that's what you learned if you're a Chicago Bears fan in this game. I I know there's probably some Bears fans, you know, this final stretch that are like, we got to keep Trubisky. He is not the long term solution, and you might as well start trying to find that immediately. And I don't know, maybe another place with Trubisky where he's as a backup and can. I guess reinvent himself a little bit will be better for his career. I'm, I'm intrigued as to see what what's next for Trubisky. I, I just don't think it's in Chicago. And then on the New Orleans side, I thought Michael Thomas injected some life into the mm-hmm. Saints almost immediately. Five catches for 73 and a touchdown. The Saints have receivers: Sanders, Cook, Harris, Thomas. To me, changes the offense. The game changed for the Bears at seven uh, seven nothing. Really, the best throw of Trubisky's career, and Wims just dropped the ball in the end zone. This was another key drop that completely, I think, changed the game. I think this has to be the final games of Drew Brees' career. It seems like it's trending that way. And this is awesome. I mean, I, I, I know we're going to get to the look ahead and, and next week, later on in the week, but Tom Brady versus Drew Brees, one of the last times these two are going to be in a big game and it's against each other. And, and the great thing about that is we get to see one of these guys in the NFC Championship. So should be a, a continuing good good couple weeks of football here. I agree with that assessment. I thought that this game was kind of who the Saints have been. I'm in a really microscopic mood. This was kind of a microcosm of the Saints. Like we got the washed breeze early on at the beginning of the game, and then the Saints kind of came alive offensively. So I am anxious to see who we get in the divisional round against the Buccaneers. Um, we'll have to put up the same, you know, is this the last game of Drew Brees' career, you know, discussions next week. Uh, but very cool for the Saints. I do believe that we are basically getting to the best eight teams in the NFL mostly. Uh, The Browns maybe are are teetering on that edge, but in that sense, I'm happy about the results here. Let's move on. Uh, Speaking of best teams in the NFL, we all thought the Seattle Seahawks were going to be among the elite early on in the season. Let Russ (laughs) Cook, John Wolford, Pete Sweeney, I mentioned the Instagram story that we do every week over on the SB Nation Instagram account. Everybody go follow. Uh, Pete Sweeney took the Rams in a bit of a Seinfeld voice. Uh, So, (laughs) you know, shout out to the most famous man in the history of New York City, uh, Frank Sinatra, all due respect. Uh, But kissed, my goodness, Um, Sean McVay is now 37-0 after leading at halftime. Yeah, man, it, it's wild to, to the fact that John Wolford was was the guy and then he gets knocked out early and, and gets sent to the hospital and everything like that. And Jared Goff comes in and you're thinking there's no way that the Rams can score in this game. But Darius Williams, who I remember I spent about two to three weeks in the middle of the season praising was on every heat. single show. He was a heat of the week. <laughs> he, maybe, maybe that should have been the heat of the week. Picking off that, that bubble screen 
and housing it, uh, I, I, feel, I feel great for him because that's national recognition for a guy that has been playing out of his mind this year. This is the second – actually, no, this is the third time this season that they haven't allowed a 100-yard game from either DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett. The Seattle offense, the, the problems that we saw in the second half of the season continued, and, and it, it was kind of predictable that they were going to continue against the Rams. You just didn't think the Rams could score because the Rams split split field, you know, two high safety looks and, and, and Russ just being unwilling to take the check down and uh, still trying to be aggressive against those looks was really confusing. And it seems like there's a disconnect between the head coach, the offensive coordinator and the quarterback there. So that's something that they've got to get fixed. I mean, they've got a talented offense. I don't understand and why they are so uh, bogged down in the muck when you have a guy like Russell Wilson. So uh, mm. really just a continuation of Seattle's offensive problems and the Rams defense being able to carry them through a game. I don't expect it to happen again. Uh, however, I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe defense does win championships. It's going to have to if the Rams want to continue to the next round. Pete, the Seattle Seahawks lost a Super Bowl in which Katy Perry performed at <laughs> halftime. Um, and I thought about Katy Perry when I was preparing the rundown for this show because you have been so hot and cold when it has come to the Rams this right. season. After they beat the the Patriots, who actually beat the Seahawks in that Super Bowl, you came in here, you told Kiss, now you said the Rams are going to the NFC title game. In fact, I think they're going to win the NFC Obviously, they suffered the injury to Jared Goff. You backed off. And not only did you back off, you backed off way before that when they lost to the New York Jets. Um, and so then last week, like I said, you picked the Rams. And so what's going on here? I mean, you know, yeah. Ross and Rachel, you know, Pete sure. and the Rams. Like, what is it? What's the story? You know, I, I got off of that Rams-Patriots game, and I just was so hot and heavy for the Rams. And then they let me down. And so I felt a little bit jaded. But I, I just knew going into this game – that Mc- oh, I, kn- I knew. Here we McVay go. McVay would get it out, and 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 I, that's also why I picked the Cleveland Browns a little bit earlier. I mean, I just saw a Seahawks team with Russ trending in the wrong direction. Same thing with the Pittsburgh Steelers in the off season. And I go back to it. We all just wanted to see. Oh, please let Russ cook. Well, the answer is Russ belongs in I think a more well balanced offense. Russ as this Patrick Mahomes type of role, Deshaun Watson, Lamar. He's just not on that level with these guys. And and I think we had an opportunity to learn that in this season, this game to me on the Ram side, I look at the Darius Williams touchdown, which we touched upon clearly film study. He said that he saw that play a million times on film. He telegraphed it. Pick six was gone. DK Metcalf at the beginning of the game was having problems with Jalen Ramsey who came in. And, and I think that sequence and, and although Metcalf was able to find his way middle of the game, I think that sequence at the beginning ended up being the difference. Jared Goff mentioned the Seahawks smoking cigars two weeks after the game, uh, two weeks ago after the game when they won the division. Goff, to me, is not necessarily a world-beating quarterback, but this, with the thumb needing to come in, he was the emergency guy. This was a signature win. Jared Goff, for me, he showed me something. He not only wins the come-up of the week, he wins the thumb-up of the week. So congratulations to Jared Goff. And he is now two wins away from winning the NFC. So I'm back. I'm hot. I'm hot again on the Rams. Give me the Rams again. Uh, Kiss, I want to mention something about Russell Wilson, but I do want to ask you, we have a little bit of hindsight to work here. It's a cliche that you, you build your team to win your division. That's the easiest path to the playoffs. 
The Jalen Ramsey trade a year and some change later is is that one of the more critical moves of of this version of the Rams in the Sean McVay era? Yeah, I think it is because it allows you to do do so much with your defense. Brandon Staley, the defensive coordinator, asked Aaron Donald to win one on one in light boxes. That allows him to deploy resources elsewhere. Brandon Staley asked Jalen Ramsey to win one on one with no safety help. That allows him to pour coverage resources elsewhere both of those guys win both of those guys are dominant both of those guys are probably the best players at their position so yeah it's 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 big for them and and it's after a while it started to look like some of these aggressive moves were not going to pay off for the rams and i think they are kind of worse off for some of those but jalen ramsey is not one of them he is worth every single penny i, I still think despite being the best player at his position is still somehow underrated so, yeah, I, I love the move for Ramsey. I think he's a fantastic player. And him with Darius Williams, I mean, that's a pair that can shut down any duo. This was the first home loss for the Seattle Seahawks, home playoff loss, that is, in the Russell Wilson, in the Pete Carroll era. Uh, Kist, you mentioned getting after Russ. He has now been sacked five times in exactly Ooh. five playoff games in his career. Obviously, a big way to disrupt what they want to do offensively. He is now two and three in those games, um, including, um, you know, three of their last five losses those three losses were, were among their last five playoff games so um yeah this was a, a really low moment for the Seattle Seahawks especially after everybody had kind of locked them in to probably represent the NFC and a note on that you know he was pressured on 55 percent of his dropbacks and you could easily say well it's not Russ's fault well Russ also took 3.1 seconds for his average time to throw this is what I was talking about when he was getting those two safety looks and not being willing to check the ball down to take the easy throw that part is on russ some of that pressure is on russ it's something that he's got to fix man he, he's human he is human and he played like it sunday the Los Angeles Rams will kick off the division around playoff action. They will visit the Green Bay Packers on Saturday afternoon, so get ready for that. I do believe, by the way, that the Packers have the easiest path to the Super Bowl of all teams remaining, but that's a point, as you mentioned, Pete, we'll get to later on in the week. The final game of the Super Wild Card Weekend came on Saturday night on NBC. Uh, a lot of people thought this was going to be kind of a, you know, no big deal game. A lot of people thought this was going to be, you know, kind of Tampa Bay is just going to cruise. Lo and behold, it was a lot closer than many people thought. 31 to 23, Pete. You have been on the Dub FT bandwagon all season long. You did not pick them in this game. You picked the Buccaneers. By the way, Pete Sweeney, the only member of the Monday Football Monday crew to go completely perfect in his super wild card round picks. A very impressive effort. And so for that, Pete, I give you the floor first. <laughs> well, thank you for that. And yeah, I... I, again, I you know I keep saying it. I'm I'm certainly just more of an Alex Smith guy than a WFT guy. I just think he finds a way to win. Something not really in the playoffs, unfortunately. But he was questionable heading into this game. And, but Taylor Heineke, give yeah, the man some respect. I you know I do like Antonio Gibson. Heineke had a nice showing, and, and nobody expected that. And you know in the world they thought it would be uh, much more of a dominant performance by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But you got to like the way that Tom Brady looked in this game the ball was coming out it was it was sharp it was it was I thought the pass to Brown early on the 36 yarder had some zip on it 22 40 for 381 the two touchdowns for Brady and I thought Heineke was interesting and it 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 it, it was out of nowhere. I don't think anyone just yeah. expected this. And I thought Cam Sims had his arrival game. I think there are some pieces in Washington as Ron Rivera tries to reboot this team that they could say, okay, we're, we're getting somewhere in, in future years. I, I wonder, you know, we talked about if 
Drew Brees, and we talked about if Philip Rivers and Big Ben retires. I I think about my boy Alex and the calf issues, and I I just wonder if he walks away after this. I I don't I don't know if he's going to want to be flirting with issues to his calf and his leg his entire career, and he's a shoe in for the comeback player of the year. But I, I think the Bucks now go into this game next week. I talked about it a little bit earlier, and I like the Bucks right now over the Saints. I, I guess it remains to be seen if Brady can keep it up, but I, I like what the Bucks are doing. I think something to monitor for this team is Ronald Jones, because I feel like they did miss Ronald Jones in this game a little bit. I think to your point, Pete, uh, Alex Smith proved his point, uh, not only to himself, but yeah. his family, uh, to fans. Sure. I, think he, I think he did it. I think he did the thing, and he can hang it up I, and be perfectly right. content with that. It was an incredible story. It was much more than anybody Agreed. expected. And you mentioned the the older quarterbacks in the league, Big Ben falling apart, Philip Rivers not being able to throw a Hail Mary. Here's Tom Brady out here throwing it around for 381 yards. Like, come Crazy. on, give the give the give the goat some credit. And look, I talked about the offensive uh, ph- philosophy shift for the Eagles since the bye. They had play action on 33% of their dropbacks on those play action dropbacks. 8 of 13 for 182 yards. Uh, Brady was also bombing it out. They were able to hit those shot plays. That's going to be key for them. I I think that shift has stuck with them against a tough Washington defense that really hung in there, but ultimately the Bucs were just too much, even despite getting a lot more from Taylor uh, Henneke than than we all thought. So Brady right now, one of the hotter quarterbacks in the NFL, and uh, I'm really looking forward to to what they can put together next week. My my thing is uh, defensively, you know, will Todd Bowles be aggressive and play more press coverage against Drew Brees and the Saints? Uh, we'll see how that works out. That's something for later on in the week, but it's going to be a fun matchup. Third time they'll meet up this year. We'll see if the Bucks can finally shake them. It is going to be very interesting because in so many of these teams, I, I would say almost every team in the playoffs, except for the Green Bay Packers, has had these, again, shout out to KP, um, you know, these hot and cold stretches throughout the year. The most consistent team all season long has been the Green Bay Packers, which is why at, at this point, I still believe they are the favorites to win the Super Bowl even entirely. Uh, I think that's a great point to end on. Now that we know the final eight teams that are left standing, Rams, Packers, Ravens, Bills, Browns, Chiefs, Bucks, and Saints. I mentioned it. I have the G-men, uh, the Green Bay men, rather, not the Giants. <laughs> uh, you know, the G-men, they've got the G on their helmet. They make it confusing. I have them as the Super Bowl favorites, Pete. I I imagine you're not getting off the Chiefs trail. No, no, I, I don't know how the most consistent team in the league is not the one that won 14 of 15 games where they play their starters. But that, you know, that's your call. Uh, I love I just wanted two two points on the weekend. First of all, I love the Super Wildcard weekend. I don't love the 17th regular season game, but this was a lot of fun. And I think it's something the NFL continues for years to come. And I think this is going to be a weekend that maybe becomes one of the better weekends of football in the year, because these were some really good games. And I know that we're going to be looking forward to this next weekend in the divisional round. And in the divisional round, I'll say this. I think seven of eight of these teams are among the best eight teams in the NFL. I'd probably give the edge to the Colts over the Browns, but the rest of these teams, this is going to be the best of the best, and I'm excited to watch it, and I'm not trying to kill the Browns here. I probably would put them right after the Colts, but the cream of the crop remains, at least in my opinion, and I'm eager to see who comes out and, and heads to the conference championships. Kissed, what division around matchup are you most looking forward to? I really, I think this is one-sided, but I think my favorite unit versus unit is the Packers offense against the Rams defense. Mm. I think that's going to be tremendous fun and tremendous film for me and KP to break down. Not Katy Perry, by the way. Kyle Post. (laughs) 
Kyle Posey, correct, on the Palpably Unfair podcast. You you can't not love Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, two of the most exciting quarterbacks in the NFL, not named Patrick Mahomes. So I'm going to go with that one just just for the pure entertainment value of the quarterback play there. I do agree with that. I am very anxious to see this entire weekend. Jared Goff, by the way, in a super interesting situation, you look at the quarterbacks left in the NFC, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, and Jared Goff. You know, it's just it's this really <laughs> awkward room for Jared Goff to be in. I mean, he, uh, he, but he, he did win the thumb up of the week. So let's not forget about that. Also, by the way, <laughs> I saw this late Sunday night. The four quarterbacks left in the AFC, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Baker Mayfield. You have two players who have won an MVP, certainly one that a lot of people believe should this year in Josh Allen. He, he's not going to. But do you guys know that, that Baker Mayfield is the oldest of those four? That is incredible. That's They're the wild. young guns and in the three. AFC, so I mean that it's 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 not a, the most terrible thing. What is Baker Mayfield? The twenty seven, twenty six? I think he's twenty five. <laughs> I think he's only. 20. They're all on their. By the way, in their third year starting in the NFL, because oh, they, he's, they were all. He, yeah, he's twenty five. That's correct. Yeah, they were all drafted yeah. in twenty eighteen, save for Mahomes, who 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 you know had the redshirt year, his first year in the NFL. So very exciting stuff. We will keep you updated all week long here on the SB Nation NFL show. Look forward to it. Get ready. There are six games between now and the Super Bowl. Who's going to be playing in it? We will find out this weekend. We love you, everybody. Have a great week.